Good morning. Um, it was, as David was saying, it was 20 years ago, actually, to this month that I met Paul Phillips for the first time, and I was kind of a wobbly 22-year-old youth pastor, and he had a high and tight haircut, like a military haircut, so I thought, Paul Phillips means business, and so I was just afraid of him, and he's been one of my mentors and friends, and Paul Phillips does mean business, but he means gospel business, and I'm telling you, when I feel like as a pastor, the wheels are coming off the wagon, Paul's one of the first people I call, so I'm just grateful for this church, grateful for Paul. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in uh, to God's Word. Lord God, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help as we listen to your word and respond to your word. God, if there's anything about me or that I say that gets in the way, would you remove it? But also, would you use me as a vessel of your good truth that we might be encouraged because we need it by your word? And we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Um, if you have Bibles on your phones or if you brought them, Exodus 31, I will get there in a second. It will be our text. Um, but first, I want to ask you a question. Are you familiar with the thing called the tilt-a-whirl? You know what I'm saying? The fair, the carnival, that thing that goes around like this, and everyone kind of is laughing at first, and then they kind of cry towards the end, and it starts to like go like this. And then, you know, it's funny because people, some are laughing, some are crying, some people look like they're going to get sick, and... If you're ever, you know, if we ever can go back to carnivals at some point, you can stand outside of one of those, the Tilt-A-Whirl, and watch everyone get off of it. And it's, the, it's, it's hilarious to watch people kind of, ah. that is what 2020 has been for me, right? One massive Tilt-A-Whirl of like our family with our kids. What do we do with our kids? This school option, this school option, the church that we serve, masks, no masks, outside, inside, how many services? It's so disorienting. And so the question is this. And for some of you college students here, it's, it's so disorienting. So the question is, as a follower of Christ, how do we become oriented in a season of disorientation? And it's not just COVID. You all, whether it's been loss of a job or death or some kind of breakup, have been disoriented. And so how do we as people of God become oriented back towards Christ? So that's the big question um, that we're going to seek to answer this morning as we look in Exodus. Now, a little context. Earlier on before chapter 31, 25, Moses, or the Lord says this to Moses. Have them make a temple for me to dwell. And so he's talking about the tabernacle. When you see the word tabernacle, it's generally not physical. It means dwelling place where, where God dwells. But in this section, they're actually making a tabernacle. So there's instructions. Do this, don't do this. And, and in this section I'm about to read, it's about these workers who have something they're called to do. And so just six verses in chapter 31 starts like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel. So remember that name, Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And then this, this line right here. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze and to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab. Remember that name, Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I've given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. 
There are so many goodies in there that I can think will aid us as we think about holy reorientation in a season of, of disorientation or spiritual alignment. So how does one realign? That's this question I'm going to keep bringing up. How do you realign after you've been thrown off center? I sit with people a lot who've been thrown off center. That's what pastors do. People get thrown off center and you help people realign in their faith. And so for me, Hebrews 12.2 is one of my favorites. Fix your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, right? So for me, even in this season, when I become uh, out of alignment, it's because my eyes are fixed on what is the pandemic doing? What are, you know, what's going on in politics, and all these other kind of the drama that happens on social media, whatever it might be, and in that I'm slowly getting out of alignment. So Hebrews 12 too, fix your eyes on Jesus. How do we do that? It is this constant returning to God's word and especially to the gospels. And as we marinate on God's word, you're, you're being oriented towards Christ. The, the other things, too, really, we, you hear these if you're a follower of Christ as a disciple, but the role of prayer and worship. W- what does prayer do? What does worship do? I think about it like this. If, if it's a compass and we're called as a people of God to be true north, focused towards Christ, then all these things that are happening that disorient us in our culture throw us off and we get so this way. And so we come into worship often like this, don't we? And as we show up at God's word, as we show up in worship, we get back towards true north. If you never spend time in God's word, if you never spend time in corporate worship or personal worship, you just kind of live like this. Your compass is off. And so it's this spiritual discipline. It's this rhythm of returning to true north. That's how we orient ourselves in seasons of disorientation. So for instance, if there's a huge breakup in your life, you don't go because you keep orienting yourself, knowing that the storms of life will come. Because Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. There's hope in that. You with me? So those are orienting things we do. But one I want to share with you today is an addition to that. And it has to do with calling. If I were to ask you, what has God called you to do? Or what is your calling? What would you say to me? And by the way, if you're young and you think, whew, this sermon has nothing to do with me, I don't have a calling, you're wrong. What is your calling? What has God called you to do and how would you uh, explain it? Uh, Verses 1 through 3, and we're going to start kind of walking through this, are very helpful to me. So you see that, that Bezalel is chosen and filled with spirit, the spirit of God. And it says not only has God put the spirit of God inside Bezalel, but skills, abilities, and knowledge. All those things are inside this craftsman named Bezalel, who happens to be good with working with tools. And so there's a call to something specific in Bezalel's life. He's specifically called to something, and we're going to get into that, but he's also equipped him. So you, God doesn't call you and not equip you, so he gives him the Ruah Elohim that's the breath of God inside him. But then he gives him skills and knowledge to fulfill God's call. My father's a Presbyterian pastor, uh, and I'm a Presbyterian pastor, something I never thought I'd ever be. And he he took me one time to introduce uh, me to one of his good buddies, who was a pastor as well, but also a part-time butcher. And uh, I was was 10, and I thought, there was a guy in the white coat with all the butcher stuff all over him and the white little hat. 
and meat hanging, and he took me back in the freezer area like the scene in Rocky and all the meats hanging, and I thought, how cool is this guy? And my dad remembers as a young boy, I looked up at him and said, Dad, that's the first pastor I've ever met that can actually do something, right? Like this guy has skill, you know? He can make a pork chop. I mean, that is, he can't just preach. He can do all kinds of things. And the reminder is this. God has given us his spirit, but he's actually given us skill and ability and knowledge to fulfill his call in our life. He hasn't left us hanging. It's like if you've had a job where someone says, go do your job. You're like, well, you haven't trained me. You haven't given me tools. We can't say that because God, that's what God has done for us. He's given us those things. And I get it. As I came here today, I thought, okay, I'm going to talk about calling. And some of these people are going to think, wait, you're a guest preacher and you're going to talk about calling. We're in a global pandemic. We're in a tilt-a-whirl. We're just trying to hold on. We're trying to survive. And you're going to talk about calling? Well, think about for a second the context of Exodus. What, what do you know about the book of Exodus? Do you think the Israelites were on a -a tilt-a-whirl experience? Absolutely. It starts in the beginning. What do you see? You see oppression, and then there's all the plagues, and then there's this wilderness thing where they're following Moses, and they're kind of, and some of you feel like this right now, right? And then what happens at the very end? They're so disoriented, they end up worshiping a golden cow, right? And that's the danger of being so spiritually disoriented. You start worshiping anything a political figure. And so what does it look like to be oriented? And what I love about this is in a season of disorientation in the Old Testament, God still has a call in their life. He doesn't lay off on like, hey guys, I know it's rough season, you know, pandemic going on. I'm just going to back off on you. No, no. He still has a call in the midst of disorientation, in the midst of wilderness. And some of you would describe this season as I would, as a wilderness season. But take heart. God still fills and still calls even in this season. So if you actually press into understanding the call God has on your life, it is an act of orientation. It is alignment. Your car is out of line. When you get it aligned, there's a lot less wobbling because it knows what it's supposed to be doing. And so that's what we do as Christians. Now, if you look from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see the idea of call all throughout. And the first thing I want to share with you that that I see, and I see it in Bezalel's life, is a primary call or a general calling. So for instance, Bezalel's primary call was to be a child of God, that he was an Israelite. He was the people of God. If you asked him, hey, Bezalel, you know, as they're hammering away on the tabernacle, what are you called to? He would probably say something about Deuteronomy 6, to love the Lord my God with everything I have. That's how he would probably understand his calling. And so you look in the New Testament. How do you understand calling? To me, it's really as simple as when Jesus says, come follow me, that to understand Nate Stratman's calling, it it really is to follow Christ. That's what he's asked us to do. That is my calling is, is to follow Christ. And as I do that, I discover my identity is solely in Christ. First and foremost in Jesus Christ. And then I realize as I live up this primary call, this general call, that Matthew 28, to make disciples, that's part of my calling. Matthew 25, when Jesus says, when I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was hungry, did you feed me? That's part of my calling. Now, here's where I want you to pay attention. It's the most important call there is, is the primary call of God. And and here's what's fascinating. Paul Phillips has that call. 
Nate does, Trevor does, Liz does. In the last service, my friend Will Artominko was in there. Bezalel, same primary call. So then what's the secondary call? This is, this is fascinating. Be thinking, what is your secondary call? It is specific. Sometimes it has to do with a certain place or region or season of life. Um, it might be a certain task. It might be a certain burden within our city you're called to respond to. But your secondary call changes. It's not always the same. Mine has changed. And you have several. So if you ask me, Nate, what is your secondary call? Well, I'd talk about my family. I would talk about my church. I would talk about my wife. I would talk about my neighborhood. That's how I would explain my secondary call to you. So if you think about Bezalel, his was the tabernacle. That was the secondary call, the place where he lives out his primary calling. But where is yours? Neighborhood? Is it your work? And by the way, even in retirement, there's a calling that you don't get a, a break. Retirement isn't a break from following Jesus. Is it a person? Is it a problem? And here's, here's the beauty I love about the secondary call with Bezalel. Bezalel was using his skills. So he was a craftsman. He had all kinds of tools and could do all kinds of things. But he wasn't doing it to say, hey, look at me. Think about what he was doing with the tabernacle. He was building something so that other people could encounter the living God. Amen. Thank you. Even with a mask on, there's an amen out there. But what a great framework for understanding your vocation or why you're in school or your retirement. That you do what God has called you to do so that others might encounter God. In the business world, in media, in education, wherever it might be, what a beautiful thing to live into that calling. The secondary call is where you live out your primary calling. So a lot of people come to me and say, Nate, I hate my job. Okay. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yes. What if you saw your job as living out your primary calling in this place and it reframes this idea of our vocation in our job? This actually could be a place to live out this primary call that God has given to each of us. And it doesn't change. Your primary call, it does not change even in a global pandemic, even when tragedy happens in your family, it doesn't change. You can change jobs, change schools. We've moved across the country. It doesn't change. You still have it. And so pause for a second, a little bit of homework. How would you if, describe your primary call and secondary call? How has God called you both generally, so get firm on that, but also creatively and in the secondary way, how has God called you in this very season as so many things have changed? And my promise to you is this, as you spend time answering this question about calling, you will become oriented. You will go from disoriented to oriented because you know what you're supposed to be doing. Every teacher my whole life would come to me and say, Mr. Stratman, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing right now? I don't know. But I think that way spiritually too, right? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing right now in this season? And, And can we answer that question? So quickly, how, how do you answer what your secondary call is since we know what our primary call is as believers? What is your tabernacle that Bezalel had? This requires discernment. What role does discernment play as you follow Jesus? I hope it plays a big role because there's a lot to discern right now, isn't there? Step one, three quick steps. It is so key to stay anchored to your primary call as you discover a secondary call. When people lose their mind, like, what am I called to do? Stay anchored. You know what your primary calling is. 
your first love. We love because he first loved us. That's the whole job description. That's our whole basis of why we do what we do. But the second exercise that could be helpful, and some of you are unaware of this, what are your skills, abilities, and knowledge? What are those things that God has stuffed in you along with the, the Holy Spirit that you can use for his glory? Do you know what they are? Because we often compare ourselves to other people, but God's uniquely made you of all ages in this room with skills, ability, and knowledge. And then the third part is to invite the Holy Spirit into the process to reveal Is there a place where I use my primary call? Is there a person, a people group, a school, a neighborhood, a burden? Is it El Cuerpo? Is it a a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Is it through young life? Is it the single parents? Where is that place, space that, that God's calling you to live out your primary call? Discernment. If someone says to you, hey, you need to go discern this, what do you go do? What, what does that look like for you? Um, an author named Ruth Haley Barton has been one of my favorites over the recent years because she's the opposite of me. She slows me down, causes me to think deeply. And this is what she says about discernment. And this all has to do with as we're discerning a call, our calling. Discernment is a habit. It's a way of seeing that eventually permeates our whole life. It is the journey from spiritual blindness, which means not seeing God anywhere or only seeing him where you expect to see him, to spiritual sight, which is finding God everywhere, especially where we least expect it. To discern your call, it is prayerful, it is intentional. To answer that question, Mr. Stratman, what are we supposed to be doing? It's an intentional effort, but I want to remind you of a third really important piece It's communal. Christianity is not a solo sport. You don't roll solo when you follow Jesus. Verse 6 is an interesting one in here. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Bezalel. Okay, think of all the goodies that God has given this craftsman, this simple worker. The Spirit of God gifts skills and abilities and co-workers co-laborers, community, all those things God has given this one simple person named Bezalel. Do you have other people in your life that help you discern? With all the discernment going on, especially now about calling, who walks with you in that process? Who helps you think through your skills, abilities, or how the Spirit is showing up in your life? Do you have other people that can help you do that? There's a... a, process that the Quakers forever have been doing called the Clearness Committee. And I got really excited about the Clearness Committee years ago because I was at that phase in my life of what am I supposed to be doing, Mr. Stratman? And so what they would do, especially before a young couple got married, they would bring in wise people of the church and they would spend hours, even days in silence. And every now and again, one of the wise people would have a question. You can't make a statement in a clearness committee. There's no, I think you should, which is what we love to do. We tell young people what they should do with their life. It was a question. What do you sense the Holy Spirit is doing? What do you sense God has equipped you to do, Nate? And they would ask me these questions. And I remember one of the questions was, which we take for granted, what is the Holy Spirit doing in this moment right now when it comes to your life? And it took me, I think, three or four months to answer the question. And I finally answered it. 
It was questions that pointed me into sermon to be in the presence of God, wrestling with God's word. And I went into this thing thinking I was going to leave working for church and go be some kind of farmer pastor person. Now, I've never farmed a thing in my life, but it sounded good at the time. And so through this clearness community, it's like, bro, you're kind of running from all kinds of things and you've made up something. And, and, and I, I got more focused on my secondary call through community what it means to be the church, to help people discern what God's call is on, on their life. So fast forward, out of that clearness committee, I planned a church back in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I was uh, 20, you know, starting at age 22. And planning a church has been one of the most difficult things I've ever done. It's been disorienting. It's been tilt-a-whirl-ish. But here's the great thing. I have never questioned my primary call. And I actually haven't questioned my secondary call. So when people say, how's the church going? Ah, oh, it's hard, but I'm supposed to be here. Do you, do you see how that's orienting in the midst of chaos? So you say, like, what's it like having kids? It is crazy, but we're supposed to have them. Right? What's it like? You know, what's it like? You admit that this is, there's whirlwinds everywhere, but I know where I am and what I'm called to be doing. It orients, as opposed to saying, I don't know what we're doing, and everyone's floating around like this. It orients us in a season of disorientation. It stabilizes us. Our call firms us up in Jesus. Amen? There's a, um, a farm that was, it's a nonprofit that was started out of our church a couple years ago called Open Hands Farm has horses and all these things, but the whole purpose of it is to help people who've experienced deep trauma and deep pain. Um, and one of the folks that works out there has been in uh, the recovery community in Wilmington for a really long time. And it's kind of a sage-like character. And people who've been in recovery, there's, there's just a grittiness to how they see life. And, and so he shared with me about calling uh, this quote, and I kind of want to leave you with it. When you don't live into your calling, it's like weeds growing in a garden. That's all he said. When you don't live into what God wired you to do and called you to do, it's like weeds in a garden. I have a whole bunch of garden beds in my backyard. I grow a lot of vegetables, and it needs tending every day. I'll go home after church, and I'll tend to it. And when I don't tend to it, it's hard to see what even is happening. Is that a garden? What are you growing over there? That's oh, a bush. I don't know. But when you tend to it, people can look and say, oh, there's fruit. We see this. We see what this is supposed to be. And, and so we tend to the garden. And so I want to flip what my friend said to the positive. When you do live into your calling, it is like flowers and vegetables growing in a garden. The fruit is evident. You don't have to guess if it's there. This is what it means to be oriented in Christ even in a season of disorientation, it, what it means to flourish, which is possible even in a pandemic. So my blessing to you is this. May God continue to call you deeper and deeper into his presence, and may he continue to fill you with his spirit like he did Bezalel. And may you orient yourself to Jesus Christ, fixing your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. And as you do that, you are discovering and you will discover God's primary and secondary call on your life. And as you live into that, not only will you flourish, but you will cause flourishing to happen all around you. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, so many things are vying for our attention right now.
So many things can cause anxiety. So many choices need to be made by parents and students. It's disorienting. And Lord Jesus, if there's anything that orients us, it's you. It's the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. God, that we need to be in our homes, in our workplaces, in our soul. That we might have spiritual alignment, knowing firmly what you've called us to be about. And God, I pray for the folks in this room who are are kind of foggy about this. That in the days and weeks to come, that there would be great Holy Spirit presence as people discern with one another what you have called them to be about. And they might know with great certainty what you've called them to and that they might flourish and others might flourish around them. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.